Thank you. Thank you, Laura. That was beautiful. Just beautiful. The Lord's good, isn't he? The goodness of the Lord, faithful to us in every way and worthy of our praise. Well, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, back to Genesis. You thought I was through with that study with Joseph, didn't you? But uh, I'm not quite through yet. These are some thoughts that have been on my mind for months now. And I want to share them with you uh, this morning. So Genesis, as you see, 39 and verse 2 will be our text. And we'll start reading in verse 1 in just a second. Usually I preach expository messages, that is, verse by verse and so forth. 99% of the time, I guess. But occasionally I'll preach a, a message on a topic, a topical message. This is one of those. The topic is happiness. Does God want us to have it? Can we have it? And so forth. And uh, so we'll take it from this text and we'll see it illustrated in the life of Joseph. But we'll really just take this one verse as a text. But let's read five verses here. Look at to verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. An Egyptian bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither, brought him there. And the Lord was with Joseph. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? We looked at it, of course, in our study through the life of Joseph. Four different times it's said that the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. Now, how could he be prosperous? He was a slave. He didn't own a thing. He probably didn't even own the clothes on his back. They were probably furnished by his, uh, uh, the man who had bought him. But the Lord said he was a prosperous man. That is, he was spiritually prosperous. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. That's important. People see that of you. You go out in the world, workplace and so forth. People will notice if the Lord's with you or not. You're walking with the Lord or not. And, uh, and he saw the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight. That is, in the sight of Potiphar, and he served him. Not only did he serve the Lord, but he served Potiphar. That was his job. He served man, too. And, uh, that, and the Lord, let's see, found grace. Verse 4, and he served him, and he made him overseer over all his house, and all that he had uh, put into his hand. So he became the administrator, Joseph did, of Potiphar's big household. Uh, and uh, and it came to pass, verse 5, from that time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that uh, he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had. He didn't even know what he had. He had he lost record of his finances and his, and his uh, crops and his uh, uh, animals and uh, except save the bread that he did eat and Joseph was a, a goodly person and well favored. Now go back up to verse 2. Let's take that thought of he was a prosperous man. Before we pray, look at your screen before we leave this passage. Look at your screen. I want to define that word prosperous as 
Zodiates, the Greek scholar in his Greek dictionary, or Hebrew, in this case, Greek and Hebrew, in this case, of course, Hebrew, and uh, he translates it like this, a verb meaning to prosper, to succeed, or to be victorious. We could translate that, he was a victorious man. That, in our thinking, that lends more towards spiritual prosperity. When we think of prosperity, we normally think of it in a material realm. He was a victorious man. We know that if you're, according to the New Testament, if you're victorious, you are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Remember those first three items of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, and peace. He was a joyous man. He was a victorious man. I think we, uh, we kind of see that all through, but here it's stated he was victorious, joyous. Now, I think we're going to see before the day's over that being joyous and being happy are the same thing. And uh, I'll define that a little better in just a moment. Pray with me. Father, thank you for our time together today. How good you are to us. Oh, we should sing of the faithfulness of you. And we should rejoice and praise you for it. Speak to us now through your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. About 45 years ago, when Karen and I were in Bible college, we were working with a team of workers that were working in the inner city in the projects. And uh, we would go in, sing songs, and that's when Karen and I first started developing the puppets and the magic and so forth. And uh, so that means our puppets, I mean, this is a side note, I didn't mean to say this, our puppets are older than half the congregation out there. I mean, we still use the same puppets. The, um, and we were in this, with this team, and, uh, and the man who led the team, young, very young man, I guess about our age, might have been a little younger than us because I did carpenter work before I went to college, and uh, might have been a little younger than us. He was a very sober person. I mean, he was a very... Uh, serious person, you know? And so, Karen and I both asked Karen if she remembered this, if she remembered it well. We, uh, he was teaching a lesson to inner-city kids. Now, picture this, inner-city kids. You know, they can't sit still, and they're moving around. And he opens with this. God never promised you could be happy. And then he says, in just a moment, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be obedient. And then a minute later, he said it a little bit differently. He said, God doesn't call you to be happy. He calls you to be obedient. Well, Karen and I looked at each other, and it just didn't sound right. We didn't know the Bible well enough to refute it, but it just didn't sound right to us, you know. And when he said that, it kind of sucked the air out of the room. I mean, you're telling a bunch of kids, God don't want you to be happy. Uh, that's pretty discouraging. And, uh, and so, I'm, I'm going to come back in a moment and show you from God's Word that uh, that statement is not true. We'll refute that statement in just a moment. I first want to define happiness, the English word happiness or, or happy. Here's one diction, online dictionary. It means to be joyous, joyful, cheerful, contented, merry, blissful and 
satisfied and prosperous. By the way, that word was thrown in there as well, uh, be spiritually prosperous. And then an, another dictionary online, it's, uh, it defined happiness as feeling and showing or expressing joy. Now, sometimes we try to distinguish between happiness and joy like they're two different things. And there is a little difference, and I'm going to explain that in a moment. But joy is a synonym of happiness, even in the English language. And then this one is also, and I think this is probably the best one, definition from an online dictionary. Happiness in the context of mental or emotional states is positive or pleasant emotions ranging from contentment to intense joy. And there's the word joy again. So happiness is, it can be a variation between contentment and intense joy. Happiness. Now sometimes as Christians we try to define these two words and it goes something like this. Happiness is what the world has and joy is what the Christian has. But that's not exactly true. When you look at the definition in the Greek and in the Hebrew and even the English translation, you see that joy and happiness are synonyms. You, uh, you, if you've got joy, the joy of the Lord, you're going to be happy. Now, you might have some worldly happiness and not have the joy of the Lord, but you can't have the joy of the Lord and not be happy. What's the difference? I think we should make the difference in the word happiness. For instance, the world's happiness depends on the circumstances of life. It even comes from a word, a happening, something that happened to you. Somebody gives you a million dollars? Are you going to be happy in that sense? Yeah, I am. If you don't believe it, try me. Give me. And so when something good happens, you're happy. It comes from the root word, hap, H-A-P, which was meant, when it was in use, it meant lucky. So in the world's view, something lucky happens to you, and it makes you happy. But the Christian's happiness, it's totally different. It's a happiness that does not depend on circumstances, but it depends on his or her relationship and fellowship and closeness to his or her Lord. That's the difference. That's the difference. An unbeliever can't really have the joy of the Lord. They have to come to Christ first. They can't have happy moments, though, when something good happens to them. They may be miserable 90% of the time, but they can be happy 10% if something good happens to them. So there's the definition. Now I want to uh, talk some about things we've heard often about COVID. Now uh, we're in second year of COVID. Um, that uh, a lot of there's a lot of mental health issues and people are unhappy and so forth. Here's here's a couple of articles. This is by the Associated Press. And uh, these statistics are taken from the COVID response tracking study, which was conducted by 
N-O-R-C at the University of Chicago. Also a part of this study was the general uh, social survey. And this is what they say. Folks in the United States are more unhappy today than they've been in 50 years. Wow. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? People in the U.S. are more unhappy than any time in the last 50 years. The survey found that only 14% of Americans answered the survey that they were truly or very happy. Only 14%. That's down from 31% just before COVID. So COVID has affected America's happiness as such. The, uh, that happiness rating of 14% uh, has never been less since they've been taking these surveys. It's never been less than 29%. But now, two years after COVID, 14%. Here's another article. And uh, this one says, four out of ten people are unhappy two years into COVID. It goes on to say, and by the way, this study is from the Oracle of Happiness Report, which is a a report worldwide and it says nearly half of the people worldwide are unhappy uh, since COVID and uh, and then this study asked a, a lot of questions uh, I just just share another couple of them maybe of those that were surveyed 53 percent wished money could buy happiness I can, see, I can see people wishing that, can't you? <laughs> a lot of rich people got a lot of money but no happiness. And then 78% of people surveyed said they were, they were willing to pay a premium for true joy. I found this interesting too. During the pan pandemic, 89% of people surveyed said they tried to find happiness by shopping online. It made them feel good for somebody to bring a, something to their door. <laughs> well, I can see that give you maybe a little temporary happiness there from the world side of things. And then it goes on to say that, uh, of course, that did not bring lasting uh, happiness. And then to kind of conclude that study, one of, the, one of the scholars who was a part of it said... The study ultimately shows it could take some people years to rediscover their sense of happiness. Well, that's a sad note, isn't it? People are unhappy. You're probably not going to get happy. And if you do, it's going to take years and years. That's enough to make me depressed. Just reading it. One last article. And uh, this one comes from the U.S. Census Bureau. And uh, it says 42% of people surveyed by the U.S. Census Bureau reported symptoms of anxiety or depression. Depression or anxiety. 42% in America. It's a remarkable number, isn't it? Before COVID, that number was 11%. That's a drastic change. 
Now, some of you listening online, some of you sitting right here, you may suffer from clinical depression or clinical anxiety. And there is a time when, when medication can help. I want you to understand I am not against medication for depression or anxiety. Now, I don't think everybody needs it, but sometimes people do. So talk to your doctor. He's the expert. Talk to your doctor, he or she. And they may send you to another expert, or they may put you on some meds themselves. And then you may have to adjust the meds. You may have to go off of one med and go on another. Not everything works the same for the same person. So let me encourage you, if you have clinical depression or anxiety, your doctor thinks you need meds, consider it. And then if you, if you get the meds, take the meds. But here's the thing. If you have clinical depression or clinical anxiety and you take medication for it, nothing wrong with that. But that only brings you back up a level with, with the normal state. It still doesn't give you happiness or joy. Only the Lord can give you joy and happiness. And so, if you have to take meds, take your meds. But don't settle for coming back up to the norm. Trust the Lord for true joy and true happiness. Well, with that said, now I want to look at the Scripture with you. And, uh, excuse me. Thank you. Whoever's working back there cut me off just in time. Thank you, Pete. When I cough into this thing, it sounds pretty bad. And uh, so, so I want to talk about uh, happy in the Bible. I didn't know it when my young friend said God doesn't call us to be happy. I didn't know it at that time, but 28 times the word happy is in the Scripture. And the Hebrew word and the Greek word, it's in the Old and New Testament, mean just what we think it should mean. It means happy, to be cheerful, to be joyous, to have joy in your heart, to be happy. Uh, listen to some of these beautiful verses. Psalm 144, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Is the Lord Jehovah, the God of the Bible, is He your God? Are you totally surrendered to Him? And then here's Psalm 146. Happy is He that hath God as His help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Proverbs 3. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and that gaineth understanding. Proverbs 16. He that handleth a matter wisely will find good, and whosoever trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. Happy. God calls us to be happy. He tells us how to be happy. He wants us to be happy, contrary to what my friend said 45 years ago. Uh, Proverbs 28, happy is the man that feareth always. That is, that reverential fear of God, knowing that he is sovereign and all is in his hand and giving him his rightful place in your life. That man is happy. We come to the New Testament. I only chose two of those to read to you, and one was from James 5.11. Y'all have studied that if you've been in a, one of our Bible studies in the book of James. And it says, 
Behold, we count them happy which endure. It's talking about enduring tribulations, troubles, problems in life. It, those things come to all of us. To endure them doesn't mean you just went through them because you have no choice but to go through them. That word endure means you go through with the right attitude. Happy is that person who goes through their trials with the right attitude. And then Jesus in John 13 says, If you do these things, happy are ye. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. What are the things he wants us to do in order to be happy? We're going to come back to that uh, at the close. So 28 times, happy. But now there's another word, and that word is blessed. Or sometimes we say blessed. Blessed. And I want you to look at your screen for a moment. Now, Zodiates translates this word bless, or says you can translate it, defines it as happiness. So does Strong's uh, Greek and Hebrew uh, uh, dictionaries. But I thought the Amplified was the best. And the Amplified puts the definition right in the verse, you know. And so we read like this. Jesus speaking. Remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Beatitudes. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the, uh, those that suffer for righteousness' sake, and on and on he says, naming all these things, the meek. But the Amplified defines the word blessed like this. Blessed, and then in brackets is the definition of the word blessed. Happy. Blithesome. Blithesome. We don't hear that word much. It means cheerful. So happy, cheerful, joyous, spiritually prosperous. Ah, there's that word we found about uh, Joseph, spiritually prosperous, has the idea of being joyous and joyful. Then they go on, it says, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions. Wow. That's what the people would have understood when Jesus used this particular Greek word, and uh, they would have understood it in that way. The rest of the verse, blessed are the meek. The mild, patient, long-suffering, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, the Amplified also uh, uses some different words in that same context of the Beatitudes. Now, every time the word blessed is used, it's the exact same word in the Greek. But they define it a little differently. And I just want to read you some of those because I love the way they put it. Blessed or happy, happiness produced by the experience of God's favor, and especially conditioned by the revelation of His matchless grace. And then here's another. Blessed or fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous in that state in which the born-again child of God enjoys favor and salvation. Here's another one. Blessed or happy to be envied and spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward condition. And then this one, happy. Happiness produced by the experience of God's favor, regardless of their outward condition. Life, joy, blessed. So, according to Zodiates and Strong's and... The Amplified, the word blessed here means happy. 
Now, the same Greek word that's translated happy, we read it a moment ago in John 13, 17. That is the same word that's translated bless here. So in the King James, this same Greek word, sometimes translated blessed, sometimes translated happy. Same thing of the, of the Hebrew word. Sometimes translated bless, sometimes translated happy and in, the, in the King James. And so uh, you see that these two words go together. So now 28 times happy was used. 496 times the word bless is used. God calls us to his blessing. He calls us to be blessed, to be happy, to have life, joy, and uh, uh, regardless of the circumstances of life. Now here's a few of those words, bless. By the way, Strong's used, uh, I, th I think, a very good phrase. He said it, this word blessed means, uh, in the Old Testament, means how happy, how happy, or so happy. Uh, read, read that in as I read it to you. In Psalm 1 it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So happy. How happy is that man or that woman that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And then uh, Psalm 2 says, uh, Blessed are all they that put their trust in the Lord. So happy. How happy are those who put their trust in the Lord. Psalm 32, blessed is the man whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Praise the Lord for that. That makes you so happy, doesn't it? And then blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust. 496 times in the Old and New Testament combined we have. Now, that's not to mention the word joy. We saw... And we see in the New Testament, Old Testament, and in the English language, joy and happiness are used as synonyms. And I didn't even point out the words, for, I mean, all the references of joy, but there's 167 of those in the Bible. Now, with that said, I want us to turn to that passage in John 13. And we've got to move quickly now. That was kind of the introduction. Now we're coming back to John 13. I don't have time to read it all for you. I'm going to kind of tell it to you, and it's going to be right in front of you, and then I'm going to pick out a few words, as you'll see in just a moment. Chapter 13, this is the night of the Last Supper, and Jesus goes to the cross at 9 o'clock the next morning, beaten and tortured before. And... Uh, this is his last night, and he felt like these things were so important. These principles were so important. He gives them to his disciples on that last, last night before his cross. You remember... <coughs> Boy, Pete's quick on that switch, isn't he? Um, remember, they're, they're all together, and at this point, Judas is still there. And Jesus gets up from the table and girds himself with a towel, which is the way a servant would gird themselves. And he began to go around and wash the disciples' feet. Now to us, in our culture, that seems extremely bizarre. Not so much in Jesus' culture, because 
people went barefooted or wore sandals in the dusty streets. Their feet got dirty. And so if you went into a, a, a guest home, uh, if that guest was rich enough to have servants, the servants would wash your feet. And uh, before you entered in to, the, uh, to what was going on, the meal. Uh, and, but the, the guest himself would not wash your feet. Even, even if you went to a guest home and they didn't have any servants, they would supply the water for you. You'd wash your own feet and before you entered in. That was the custom. But now Jesus, who's the master, he girds himself with a towel. He begins to wash their feet. They're kind of shocked by this. Like, oh, this doesn't seem right. Jesus, well, washing our feet, that just doesn't seem right. And Peter, of course, was always willing to speak up. And, and Peter said, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. You'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. That word part means participation, fellowship, communion. Didn't take Peter long to change his mind. He said, Lord, then if that's the case, <laughs> wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head and the whole thing. I imagine Jesus probably smiled at that. And he said, if you've had a bath, you only need your feet washed. Now, that was a common practice in that day, too. You would, you would go to a bathhouse, you'd take a bath. But then when you were traveling back home, you were clean all over, but by the time you got home, your feet were dirty again. So if you've had a bath, you only need your feet washed. A bath is like salvation. That's when all of our sins are washed away. But we walk in this old dirty world, and our feet get dirty because of bad choices and sins and things that we do that don't please the Lord. Our feet get dirty, and Jesus washes our feet. Forgiveness when we come with confession. And so, then Jesus says to them, what I've done to you, you do unto each other. Does that mean his believers go around washing each other's feet literally? No, because he said there, you don't know what I'm doing right now, but you will. They knew what he was doing. They'd seen people wash feet every day. And he said, you don't know what I'm doing, but you will now wash each other's feet. He meant for us to forgive one another. Just like Christ has to forgive us, wash our feet, we have to forgive people who have wronged us. Now, with that synopsis, look at your screen for a moment. Let's think about this. Jesus said, happy are you if you do these things. What things are we to do? We're to first take on a servant's heart. You have to make this choice. I'm going to serve the Lord, but I'm going to serve people because you can't really serve the Lord without serving people. And, uh, uh, and so we take on a servant's heart like he took on that towel. Find somewhere to serve. Find somebody to help. Help in the nursery. Help with the children's ministry. Help with the outreach ministry. Uh, you hear of something in the church you think you would like to do, ask somebody about it and, and serve the Lord. Find a place to serve. Joseph, of course, is where we started this study. Joseph served the Lord, but he also served man, didn't he? He was the best employee that uh, Potiphar ever had. Then he gets over into the jail, 
And the same thing happens over there. The, the warden puts him in charge of the whole uh, prison. And he's the hardest worker the warden ever had. Show that you belong to Christ by working hard and doing a good job. And let that be part of your testimony for Christ. Serve people. That's one thing that was in this little acted out parable. A servant's heart. And then, forgive those who have wronged you. Wash their feet. You might say, you don't know what they did to me. No, I don't. God does. Jesus said, wash their feet. Forgive them. And then, the third thing is this. Or, or Joseph forgave. Of course, that's the great illustration. Joseph forgave his brethren who had thrown him in a pit to let him die and then sold him into slavery and thought he'd be a slave until he died. He forgave his brothers fully and completely. And then the third thing is walk in continual fellowship. Um, look back at verse 7 there for a second. And uh, verse 6, Peter says, uh, Dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus said, What I do thou knowest not, but shall know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, uh, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me, no participation, no fellowship, no communion. And of course, then Simon said, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. <laughs> so this parable is about fellowship. You've had your bath, you've been saved, but... Sin in our lives comes between us and our Lord in, in fellowship and communion. And we have to have Jesus cleanse us, wash our feet along the path every time they get a little dirty. You might say, does that mean every Sunday? No, it means more than that. Does that mean every day? Well, at least every day, but maybe two or three times during the day. Whenever your feet get dirty, that's when they need to be cleansed. And so fellowship and communion. Can we see that in the life of Joseph? I think we can. The Lord was with Joseph four times in the story. It was the key to how Joseph made it through hardship and troubles and mistreatment. And he did it still with a good attitude. A joyous, happy attitude. Now, let's think about this fellowship, continual fellowship. Here's some verses I want us to think about. And uh, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures evermore. Psalm 1611. David knew where to find joy in the presence of the Lord. That's where we find joy. That's the reason Jesus told that parable about fellowship, participation with me. You've got to have your feet washed if that's going to happen. And then Jesus said this himself. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Jesus gives his joy to us. Now, he said these things. What things did he talk about? He talked about the vine and the branches. So the vine, 
I mean, the branch draws from the vine everything it needs. And so you and I can draw from the Lord Jesus, receive from Him everything we need, including joy and peace, even in troubled times, happiness. And so it's that abiding in Christ is fellowship, communion, and drawing from Him what we need. And then Brother Lee taught a beautiful series from 1 John. This is in chapter 1. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Fellowship, communion, in the presence of the Lord, abiding in Christ. We, we abide in Christ. We draw from Him like a beggar receives from the sovereign of the universe. Don't try to earn it. John chapter 1 says we receive out of His fullness. Grace piled on top of grace we receive from Christ. Don't try to earn it. It's like a beggar taken from the sovereign of the universe. Everything, all by grace. It's all by grace. And then the parable of the vine is this. As the, we receive from Christ all that we need. Just like the branch draws from the vine everything it needs. It doesn't need anything outside of that vine. And so you and I draw the fruit of the Spirit. We draw what we need from Christ. Happiness comes from Jesus. I close with this. I've got time. I allowed myself. I've got time. I close with this, though. Alexander Grigola was an immigrant. He came from the Soviet uh, uh, Georgia. He learned English, and then he earned three doctorate degrees. Can you imagine how long that took? Masters and then doctorates. Three doctorate degrees. And he became a successful professor at the University of Pennsylvania. But despite his freedom in America, and despite his accomplishments and his education, he said there was a deep shadow in his heart. A misery. A misery he could not overcome. And one day while he was sitting... And a shoe shine man was shining his shoes. Now I feel like I need to explain this because some of you young people maybe have never seen a shoe shine man. And uh, you know they're in a, they have a big chair and a place to put your feet that's a, you know a foot or two off the ground so they can sit on a little stool and shine your shoes. People made living that way, and you used to see them everywhere in the barber shop, at the bus station, train station, airport, and. Uh, uh, just walking down the street downtown, there'd be a big old stand. Might be two or three chairs there, and he'd shine two or three people's shoes at the same time, you know. And uh, so uh, this scholar, Alexander, was at the, this setting in the chair, and the shoeshine man was shining his shoes. And I'm quoting now. I noticed that he went about his work with a sense of joy, scrubbing, buffing, smiling, and talking. Finally, Dr. Gregola could stand it no longer, and in his Russian accent, he said, Why are you so happy? 
To which the, the man who was shining his shoes paused and replied, Jesus. He said, it's Jesus. He went on to say, he loves me. He died so God could forgive my badness. Jesus makes me happy. Jesus makes me happy. Well, Dr. Gregola was disgusted with the answer, and he jerked his newspaper back up and put it back in front of his face while the man finished his shoes. But he couldn't get away from that statement. That statement stuck with him until eventually it led him to Christ. And having found Christ, he finally, for the first time in his life, found happiness and joy. Because joy comes from Jesus. And real happiness, biblical happiness, comes from the Lord Jesus. A little side note on Dr. Gregolian. He later moved to a Christian college because now his... Christian faith and so forth. He moved to a Christian college and one of his students was a young man named Billy Graham. Isn't that something? And God used a little uh, shoe shine. It might have been a young man. Sometimes they were young. Sometimes they were adults uh, earning a living that way. It doesn't matter whether you're uh, educated with three doctorate degrees or if you've never finished high school whether you're in a prestigious position like a professor at a university or whether you're in a lowly position like shining shoes, there's only one way to really be happy and joyous, and that's Jesus. Jesus. He's our joy. Bow with me, please. With heads bowed, maybe you'd say, Preacher, I, I know I'm saved. No doubt about that. But I want you to pray for me because I really want to be happy. Uh, not just when things are going right, but I want to have the kind of happiness the Bible talks about. The joy of the Lord. I want that for my life. Would you slip your hand up if that's your prayer today? Yes, God bless you. Hands are everywhere. Thank you so much. You may put them down. I don't think you have to wait years, like that expert said to find happiness. I think you can find it today in a moment with a life yielded completely to the Lordship of Christ, walking with Him in fellowship and drawing from Him that happiness and peace and joy that you long for. Anybody here that would say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I've never received Christ as my Savior. Would you slip your hand up quickly and let me pray for you? No one will come to you or embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. Anyone like that? All right, Father, thank you for our time together today. How good you are. And oh, Lord Jesus, teach us to abide. Teach us to walk with you every minute of every day, drawing from you whatever it is we need, patience, kindness, gentleness, peace, joy. Teach us, I pray. There's many here today who have lost their joy. They've lost their happiness. Restore that to them as they confess their sin and as they yield themselves afresh to your Lordship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, please. The words are